Chip Chat is back, part of the new and improved Friday Sentinel Radio show. Chip Gibbons is here. Hey, Chip. Hello. You've been doing okay this new year? We haven't haven't spoken yet in 2021. We've not spoken yet once in 2021. So far, the year's uh, on You're track right? to be just as bad um, as 2020. I think we spoke once in 2021. Oh, we did? Didn't we discuss the UK's decision to deny uh, Assange's uh, extradition? You're right. You're right. You're right. And, yeah, I uh, remember when, when I talked to you, Sam. I, I can't say the same is true for you, apparently. <laughs> I guess it Ouch. wasn't so memorable. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look, it... it as with 2020, it's hard It's hard to discern between weeks and months, and we're only 29 days in, so let's, so, uh, let's yeah. not fly off the handle here. Well, one thing we obviously haven't spoken since is the uh, January 6th Capitol insurrection, riot, ransacking, coup attempt, putsch, whatever uh, you want to call it. We're not here to uh, debate the terminology. But we are going to debate some of the, or not debate, I don't think there's going to be much debate here, but uh, discuss some of the fallout from it. Um, we now have 5,000 troops that are indefinitely stationed uh, around the Capitol, at least through March, due to unspecified right-wing threats against the Capitol. Um, and we also have a lot of chatter about the need to change our laws to better respond to these threats, which would basically be uh, the creation of domestic or new terror laws. Um, Chip, are, are you bothered by the direction that some of this discussion is going? I mean, how... Like, obviously, right-wing violence has been a threat that we've been talking about that's been ignored for by a lot of people for a very long time. And now that it's been kind of thrown out into the open as a result of January 6th, looks like we have a lot of now overreaction to it. Well, I mean, we've seen this before. I mean, people have periodically touted right-wing violence, which, which does impact people as sort of a justification for expanding the the security state. There has been a lot of attention paid to right-wing violence throughout the Trump administration, um, in part because there was just more media interest in it, and in part because there was something of an uptick in it as well. Um, but, you know... I mean, we have also heard calls for you know, domestic terrorism legislation periodically throughout the Trump administration as a way to sort of combat sort of so-called right-wing domestic terrorism. You saw this after the really horrific shooting at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, and now you're seeing this again after the Capitol uh, insurrection. I think insurrection is an appropriate term. I think coup attempt is also fair. I, I think riot uh, doesn't quite accurately convey what happened, but yeah. I think insurrection is is appropriate. And yeah, I, I, I am concerned, you know, after the um, Oklahoma City bombing in, in the 90s, you know, Bill Clinton used that to ram through the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of, of 1996, um, which most of the proposals were already floating around in response to the World Trade Center bombing, the first one in 93. 
uh, they added on the effect of death penalty part, which was uh, ghoulish. It took away habeas appeal rights from death row inmates. It was a huge subject of um, controversy when the Troy Davis litigation was going on, since Troy Davis was innocent and was executed by the state of Georgia. So, you know, we have seen this playbook before, right? People keep saying we don't want Patriot Act 2.0, but, you know, the Patriot Act was in many ways uh, predated by the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, which definitely got a huge push from the Oklahoma City bombing, which was a domestic, domestic attack. And, I mean, it's worth pointing out that, you know, there are no shortage of federal and state laws that cover things that would be deemed domestic terrorism. Uh, it's it's not like there's this legal loophole that, oh, we never criminalized, you know, attacking the Capitol. We never criticized storming the Capitol with zip ties and planting IEDs and killing a cop and, you know, all these sorts of things. There are all laws against all of those things on the books. And I think the laws are probably fairly sufficient. They might actually be uh, overly sufficient in, in, in some cases, right? When we start talking, when people start talking about like mass conspiracy charges or seditious conspiracy charges or felony murder charges for participants in the uh, capital insurrection, I, I think maybe the laws are overly sufficient. Um and we just don't need any new laws, and we don't really need a legitimation of the repressive apparatuses. And I, I think what's important to remember is that, you know, the FBI, as we've talked about on this program, you know, frequently uses its counterterrorism authorities to spy on left-wing groups, on racial justice groups. Uh, they do all kinds of mental leapfrogs to figure out how they can use the terrorism designations to to surveil these groups, even though in most cases they concede they're nonviolent. Uh, the FBI operates under extremely loose definitions of what constitutes terrorism. Uh, in the domestic terrorism context, the FBI doesn't even use the phrase domestic terrorist. They use the phrase domestic extremist because it gives them even more um, leeway and what they can do and eventually allows them to cook the books with terrorism prosecutions. Uh, an extremist is anyone who commits any illegal act, not just a, a terrorist act uh, in furtherance of their call. So you go and see these like bullshit gun charges against people or perjury or whatever, you know, that's a that's a win for the domestic terrorism uh, bureau because it's an act of extremism. Um and and so you just already have sufficient uh, tools to go after these people. And, you know, do you want more tools for the people who, when anti-racist counter-protesters were stabbed in Sacramento by white supremacists, you know, they opened an investigation, a terrorist investigation, into the people who were stabbed as opposed to these stabbers? And I, I, I would say no. No, I don't want them to have more powers. It 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 does seem like this is um, <clears throat> being done by centrists and liberals because they uh, either are incapable of understanding ideologically the ties between the far right and law enforcement, or they just want to ignore it entirely. I mean, 
left Twitter was a buzz on the day of January 6th, noting that if the police did not want uh, these these uh these people that stormed the Capitol, they would have stopped it a long time ago. And that this should be a jumping off point for talking about reforming and defunding the police and rooting out far right elements within the police. And we saw them on, uh, on both sides of the January 6th event where we had Capitol police officers sympathetic to the crowd and many off-duty police officers in the crowd storming the Capitol. I think the count's at 31 now of off-duty 31? police officers that are under investigation for their Jesus role Christ. I the mean, Capitol. this is just, this really does seem like an ostrich sticking its head in the sand. Yeah, I mean, we know that there's a long history of collusion between the far right and police. You know, I don't, I don't support any of the COINTELPRO programs. Uh, but one of the reasons why the FBI started its COINTELPRO program against the Ku Klux Klan in the 60s was because, you know, the Kennedy administration wanted action after uh, civil rights workers were killed. And the belief was that because Southern law enforcement was so in bed with the Klan, they had no law enforcement mechanisms to go after them. So they said, well, why can't you just do to them what you do to the communist? You know? And I don't, I don't think anyone should have done to them what the FBI did to the communist, right? As, 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 a, as a principle, I, I just uh, well. find an objectionable concept. But You're a much fact- more principled man than I, Chip. <laughs> well, you know, fine. But, you know... But, like, you know, the idea that we couldn't have a law enforcement yeah. prosecution of clans people, so we have to use, like, counterintelligence programs that were originally, like, techniques for using, like, foreign spies, right? Because you can't prosecute uh, people who are committing pretty prosecutable offenses, you know, murder. Murder is generally frowned upon in all jurisdictions, I'm told. Uh <laughs> I mean, if I, if I was an FBI agent on this case, and I, I obviously wouldn't be, and if I was an FBI agent, I'd try to burn the building down. But if, if I was, an, let's say I was an FBI agent interested in solving crimes, uh, this is obviously difficult in the sense that, like, there's so many people involved in this. And, um, but, but at the same time, it's incredibly easy because of how many of them were streaming themselves on public social media going, I'm thinking about the woman who uh, was like streaming as they're going into the Capitol, talking about we're storming the Capitol. And then as she walks in the building, she turns the camera to show her face and gives her name in her realtor position. If people need new, new houses, call her as a realtor. I mean, there's just endless examples of this stuff of people who, I, I mean, you could, you could enter uh, discussions of privilege into this conversation, but people who thought that they wouldn't get in any trouble at all storming the Capitol and fighting with police and doing all this stuff. So clearly uh, the cops, when it comes to a lot of these prosecutions, have plenty, plenty of information to to pursue convictions under the laws that, that currently exist. I guess where, where I'm concerned and I could see this happening and it's been happening since I mean, it's, it's been happening for a while now is restarting the crypto wars, because now that a lot of these chuds uh, are, are seeing their their friends and allies get arrested for posting on social media the crimes they're doing. You know, more and more people are moving toward encrypted messaging. And so you're just going to have the government once again 
try to take down these encrypted messaging apps, force developers to give keys to cops and stuff like that, which is, again, going to come back and harm the left. Yeah, I think that's a real concerning uh, development if this becomes another reason why the FBI is, uh, you know, the FBI has its going dark initiative. The FBI is going dark because everything is on encryption now. And, you know, they keep citing really horrific crimes like like ISIS terrorism and child pornography are always the two things they, they hit you with. And I actually, uh, I think it was on C-SPAN when one of the FBI guys was at Cato Institute talking about how he needed a back door. I, I asked him a question and he told me he could search my car, um, which was an interesting response to my question about encryption. He could search my It sounded very threatening in the moment. Like, I search your car. And it's like... Get a warrant, buddy. Um, uh, but but no, and I do think that's a really valid concern, especially if people buy into the idea. Well, there's these people on um, encrypted apps that are bad that I don't like. Therefore, I'm finally willing to do away with with encryption. Right? They always cite the most horrific and most unsympathetic cases already. When, when they argue for these backdoors and encrypted applications, and this just gives them another group of people who are particularly loathsome, particularly vile, uh, particularly unsympathetic to do this. I find it very interesting that person was a realtor uh, because there was someone we used to work with at Defending Rights and Dissent who did NSA, anti-NSA mass surveillance stuff, and then she later had to become a realtor in life, and she asked us to take down all of the videos of her talking about how the NSA shouldn't spy on people because she thought it would hurt her as a realtor, whereas this person is apparently storming the Capitol, announcing they're a realtor. And, and going back to the fund the police um, angle, I've definitely been arguing that this is counterintuitively a chance to sort of limit surveillance powers, right? I've always said the FBI should be limited to investigating uh, things where they have evidence of criminal conduct right and right now the fbi is going on these broad fishing expeditions into you know uh quakers quakers who don't like nuclear weapons or you know black people who don't like being killed by the police and perhaps if they actually had to focus on crime and not ideology you know they they might be able to i don't think they would because i think there's political biases but like there's an argument to be made that like we should be restricting them since they're not using the surveillance powers they have wisely, right? Why give them new ones? I mean, who else but the intelligence and the police get to continuously fail at the one thing they're supposedly supposed to do? Whether or not that's the thing they're supposed to or not is a different story, but like the, the, the reason, their public reason for their existence, they continually fail at. So let's give them more things they can fail with, right? Like, like who else gets to do that at their job? Hedge fund guys, apparently, uh, but that that's a different story. Uh, all these people need to learn to code, uh, if you ask me. But uh, one development this week, there hasn't been a lot of movement this week on the story, but one development was that the Department of Homeland Security issued a bulletin warning of uh, – right-wing extremist acts, uh, violent acts from people who don't accept the result of the election still. 
And uh, it was only one of a few warnings that the system has ever issued. I believe it issued a warning after uh, Qasem Soleimani was assassinated. It issued a vague warning about ISIS uh, before that. There weren't many. There weren't any specifics in the uh, warning uh, that was issued, and I thought that was rather peculiar. I mean, I am uh, very vigilant about the far right um, extremism, and I was left a little um, perplexed by the statement, wondering what the hell they were talking about. I, do you have a take on this DHS warning system and? Is this the January 27th, 2021 thing? Yes. So I haven't gotten a chance to read it. Multiple people I know who have read it has criticized it as being utterly vapid and devoid of useful intelligence and indicative of the fact that this DHS system just completely needs to be disbanded if this is the type of intelligence, or <laughs> I use the term loosely, they are, they are churning out. I cannot... Uh, say whether or not that is true because I have not read it but two people I know who have read it who have spoken to me about it have just called it vapid and one of them uh, was a former intelligence professional themselves um, and they were particularly particularly uh, hmm. unmoved by it maybe we should just move to like a color coded system <laughs> Oh yeah, Jello Biafra used to call that the uh, every color of Fruit Loops alert. <laughs> well, we can always go back to uh, duct taping our windows shut. Yeah, really, uh, greatest hits of the Bush era. Um, I forgot about the duct tape. Yeah. Prevent like a sarin gas attack or something. I'm gonna duct tape my windows or it was that that was or a dirty bomb. Why was I, why was I duct taping my windows? I it was it was some sort of chemical attack, and you know what? Uh, it actually killed an Israeli family who tried it. They suffocated to death. Why are Israeli families listening to John Ashcroft? I don't know, because they thought Hamas was going to fly a kite into their house or something. I, yeah, but I just feel like people in other countries should know, like, do not listen to anyone in the Bush administration, right? I imagine when people see, like, a John Ashcroft or a Donald Rumsfeld on television, whether or not they're a right-wing demagogue or a, or a racial chauvinist or not, they, they note that this man is a bloviating imbecile. I, I, I feel like, you know... Well, fear-mongering is an old Zionist tradition right alongside bulldozing people's homes and stealing the land. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying like, <laughs> it's not to listen to John Ashcroft, right? I'm not saying there's not national chauvinism. There's not sure. There's not bulldo But like John Ashcroft. They could have listened to a smarter uh, fear-monger. Was it the DA? Who was Bush's first DA? Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge. And then there was Michael Chertoff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, John Ashcroft, it? though, he's he's the uh, he's the, the top dog there. The guy who tried to cover up the uh, the breasts on uh, on the statue, uh, the he Lady Justice up, statue. He spent an absurd amount of money on that blue drape. <laughs> uh, he also sung a song. Yep. Yes. Let the eagle soar. Yes, that's the it. Soar like it's never soared before, and he lost an election to a dead guy. Isn't he dead himself? Didn't he die recently? Ashcroft. I no. Or Tom Ridge so. died. One of them died, didn't they? Or... Has anyone died? 
I don't think Tom Ridge died. I thought one of them died. But, Tom Ridge uh, is alive, and Ashcroft is. Uh, oh wait, hang on, five seconds here. Bear with me. John Ashcroft also alive. Damn. I don't know why I thought I they died. And Michael Chertoff is alive. <laughs> there was a uh, Bush's ex. Tre- uh, well, obviously ex. One of Bush's uh, Treasury secretaries died. It was uh, O'Neill, right? Hmm. I don't remember any of his treasury well, sectors. I guess some of I the... I love how the listeners can hear me just typing away right now. <laughs> Who's dead? Who's dead? Who's dead? <laughs> um, Paul O'Neill died in April, yes. Okay. But he he was against uh, some of the excesses, the military excesses. Uh, not that he had any sway over it as the treasury secretary, but... I Always think the I've, Treasury Secretary has the bizarre views on foreign policy, right? Isn't there the like ex Reagan like assistant deputy minor Treasury Secretary that like nine eleven truthers kept parading around and stuff? That sounds right. Yeah. I always just remember the story of who was the guy who was in the hospital and they tried to pressure him to sign off on the illegal surveillance that program? That was Ashcroft. Yeah, yeah. I just always take that story and assume that he's sickly and has died by now, but I guess he's <laughs> oh, still alive. That was, James Comey wouldn't do it. That's right. James Comey was the hero of the story, so Obama he's made him FBI. The, the hero of every story, James Comey. Yeah, James <laughs> Comey. Uh, I was, I'm writing a review of the MLK FBI movie for Jacobin, and I was very upset when James Comey's voice... Uh, buffled over me in the movie just being like, <laughs> I read the letter they sent to Martin Luther King and I was sick, physically mm. ill. I didn't literally vomit, but I felt like doing it's like, okay. Like, uh, even by, like, the standards of official Washington, like, James Comey is a particularly pompous and self-important man with very little reason to be so. I bet in the same hearing that he said that, he also talked about the Ferguson effect. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if that was the same hearing, but it may as well have been. You know, he kept the wiretap order that Robert F. Kennedy signed on Martin Luther King on his desk to remind him not to wiretap Martin Luther King. (laughs) So I guess some positive news around this whole domestic terror business is that there do seem to be a lot of lawmakers who are on our page uh, on this. I've seen um, Rashida Tlaib, Pramila Jayapal, others speaking out at how we do not, absolutely do not need any more new domestic terror laws. Um, I mean, back when we were in the the, the Patriot Act fever after 9-11, there was really only like one or two voices speaking out about expanding the national security state. Uh, Here, there seems to be a lot more skepticism toward that move. Yeah, I have noted that um, it doesn't seem to me to be a sure thing that a a domestic secure, a domestic terrorism law creating a new criminal offense, not something like the Durban bill, which which doesn't create a new criminal offense, but does other things which some groups think are really good and some think are really bad. I, I, I don't see any evidence that something like that would pass overwhelmingly. There is immense skepticism to a new terrorism law. I, I actually am not as panicked as some people are that this is definitely coming down the the um you know the line because I, I, I I'm impressed by 
by some of the pushback to it. You know, yeah. there was yeah. a lot of skepticism of anti-terrorism legislation in the 80s and early 90s. And after Oklahoma City, Clinton was able to ram through a lot of it. And I, I don't see that happening this time. I think it'd be a fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, much more concerned about the non-legislative stuff, like the permanent yeah. fencing around the Capitol and who knows how long the uh, presence of, of National Guard troops there uh, will last. Correct. I think this is the new normal. Yeah. Chip right? Gibbons. They shut down Pennsylvania Avenue after the Oklahoma City bombing. They do all the stupid uh, security uh, theater after 9-11. And the shoe bomber. Remember the shoe bomber? Yeah, Richard They're Reed. still taking your shoes off at the airport. I don't know why. If you're under the age of 16, you don't have to take your shoes off. Um, and, you know, we just continue to accept those ridiculous things. So I think the fencing at the Capitol and maybe some National Guard will will be there like 30 years from now. You'll have to explain to someone, yeah. you know. Chip Gibbons, uh, any uh, final thoughts you want to share? Uh, anything you want to plug that you're working on uh, with us? You want to reveal what your holdings are right now in GameStop? I don't have any GameStop, but I have some AMC stock. I have <laughs> you got lost. in on it, huh? I lost money on. I have lost uh, <laughs> half of what I put. I've lost half of the capital I invested in AMC. <laughs> Uh, so that is a lesson to me. Um, but no, earlier in the week, I hosted an event with Defending Rights and Dissent and Truth Out on Fred Hampton, The Fight for Truth, with the two original Fred Hampton attorneys who uncovered the FBI's role in the murder or assassination of Hampton as part of their their lawsuit. Um, this was in the 70s and 80s. And new Fred Hampton documents have been released uh, they released the uh, personnel file of one of the FBI agents involved, which they were denied at the trial in the 70s. And it indicates that Hoover may have been involved in it. And uh, during the uh, webinar that, that I was I was hosting, when uh, Taylor, one of the lawyers, announced that right beforehand, Bobby Rush, the congressman and former Black Panther, uh, called him up and is going to be asking the Biden DOJ to open uh, all of the Hampton files up. We'll see what happens. Um, so that is something that I am going to be pushing for and uh, working on to uh, open the remaining of the Fred Hampton files. Mm. Well, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be watching your progress on that. I'm sure there's some some stuff in there that worth reading. Chip. Yeah, I mean, most of them have already been released, but um, apparently they're still revelations. The, the, the good ones haven't. And by good, I mean the, you know. Yes, the, I know what you yeah. mean. Chip Gibbons. You can follow him on Twitter at ChipGibbons89. He is the policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, though he speaks only on his own behalf here on Chip Chat. Thanks so much for coming on again. Thank you for me on. 